every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd, he's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Henna Pryor from the Priority Group. Uh, Henna started her career in the wild world of accounting in a big four firm at Ernst & Young, and she had an extremely successful 14-year career as a professional recruiter before leaving to start an executive coaching and leadership training business. To date, she has served 126 companies and coached over 1,052 clients during her career. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you. And can you introduce me like that every time we hang out? Because Absolutely. Yeah. Any Anytime <laughs> moving forward. So for okay, so, perfect. The, uh, as you know, I'm going to try a beer that I've never had. So I'm going to try one of my favorite breweries, uh, Oscar Blues, has a haze, a New England style IPA called Thick Haze. We're going to give this a shot. And you're going to okay. be... Trying a what? What are you going to be seeing? I'm going to be drinking uh, a not at all brand new to me, Mango White Claw, which Perfect. was basically the, the drink of all of last summer, which I'm continuing. There we go. So now I do have to, let, we'll talk about that real quick. Everyone <laughs> has a flavor that they can't stand of White Claw. What's yours? Watermelon. Watermelon? Okay. I love I love to eat watermelons. Whatever yeah. watermelon White Claw is, is not watermelon. <laughs> Some weird weird essence of that I am yeah. not a fan of. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I get it. There's, everybody has one. So yeah. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about your business. So tell us a little bit about your business and what you do. Yeah. So uh, about a year and a half, almost two years ago, I decided after 16, 17 years in corporate to branch out on my own. So I started a firm called Priority Group. And I would say the simplest distillation of the business is executive coaching, leadership training, and sales and performance development and coaching. So okay. all of those things, really everybody I work with ranging from sales teams to leaders of Fortune 500 on okay. anything that involves up-leveling and growth. Right. Okay. So I have to ask the obvious question. You yeah. have an insanely successful career as a professional recruiter, finishing yes. regularly every year in the yes. top 10% of the company, which probably yes. means you are doing extremely well financially. So yes. some people would look at you and go, why would you leave that? That seems like a dream gig. So why did you end up leaving there to start your own gig? Yeah. So before I answer that, I'll say some people don't look at me and say that. Everybody <laughs> looks at me and says that. Everybody's like, what the, the hell, woman? Like, yeah. what's wrong what's with wrong you? With you? Um, right. Yeah. On paper, I had the greatest gig in the world. And I, I maintain that to this day. And it was a very hard decision for me to leave. After 14 years, I was working from home before the entire world was. You know, right. I'd done that for a decade. I quit my day by 3.30 to make sure that my kids got off the bus. I didn't really get back on for the rest of the day and wow. had an income that, you know, knock on wood, I'm very grateful that most people would be envious of. But I hit a threshold where I realized for the better part of five years, everyone was looking at me as the person to learn from. Yep. And I had stopped learning. Got it. I just, I hit a wall and I'm yeah. a voracious learner. I like to be challenged. I like it when people can challenge me. And I knew for a while that that had stopped happening, but 
golden handcuffs are tight. <laughs> it was true. hard to make the decision to leave, but very true. I knew I knew it was time. How long? When did you have the first like? You know what? Maybe this isn't what I want to yeah. do for the rest of my life. And before you actually made the leap. It was about two years that I thought about it before I yeah. actually did anything about it. Because again, I, I loved my job. I loved my clients. I think everyone waits for this big story of you must have burnt out. Staffing right. is a, a burnout prone industry. Yeah. So it was, it's always this expectation of you must have just, you know, gotten tired of it. And I apologize if you guys hear any lawnmower in the background. Because <laughs> was no, you're good. The last week. <laughs> just um, but yeah, it's a very burnout prone industry. Most people burn out from the industry and leave. And I maybe surprise folks when I say that that wasn't it. It wasn't, it wasn't that it was just a hunger to do more with my life and have a bigger role. Um, mm -hmm. The easiest way I can just explain it was actually explained to me really well. Somebody had said to me, you reach a point in your life where ROI, it used to mean return on investment. Yeah. And then it starts to mean to certain people ripple of impact. Mm. That's interesting. And I decided, yeah. I decided it was time to do the other ROI. Yeah, to have an actual impact on other people that you that you come in contact mm -hmm. with. That's yeah, pretty interesting. Bigger impact. Yeah. yeah. So you you start out in the you graduate from college and you, and you start out at a, at Ernst and Young as a big four. Mm -hmm. How do you even make it to in the recruiting field? Uh, well, so I was a, an accountant, an auditor at Ernst yeah. and Young, and after two and a half years, I realized quickly girl likes to talk too much to be an auditor. Yeah, you don't and really so, have the auditor personality. No, yeah. No, I'm not a math, but uh, you know, I, I say this with total love. My parents are hardworking immigrant parents who really wanted to steer me towards professions that were stable sure. and safe. And so finance was a, a good choice because I didn't want to be a doctor. I don't right. like blood. You know, there's certain other things that were less appealing. Um, so the big four experience, I mean, some of my best friends came from there, but I was in accounting and I went and met with a recruiter at K-Force to get a new job who then sat me down and said, why don't you do finance and accounting recruiting? You can use your entire skill set, but in a more, you know, sales commission, people centric type right. of position. And I think I, I didn't even think about it for more than five minutes. I was kind of like that. That's a thing. I can do that. I can do I that. Can make yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the, at the time, the market was so good, not dissimilar to how it is now, where I said, yeah. if it doesn't work out, I go become an accountant again. You right. Know, no big deal. That's great. So now you're, you're doing your coaching thing, right? Yes. And you're not really one to sugarcoat things. Even on your website, you, you no. have a quote that says she does not accept excuses. So how often do you run into coaching clients that are actually ready to, for a little bit of tough love? Uh, all of them. <laughs> I think yeah. all of them are ready for tough love. Usually the exception is this, if someone comes to me because their boss says, uh, I want you to work with an executive coach, then yes. those people are not always ready or willing to yep. do the work that requires them to change. But if somebody comes to me with, out of their own volition and says, I'm stuck, I think I can play bigger, I think I can play differently, then usually they're a bit prepared to receive that tough love and yeah. come to me because they know they'll get it. That makes a lot of sense. So, I, you know, I've talked to, uh, especially on the podcast before, but I've talked to a lot of mm -hmm. people personally where everyone comes up with, or many people come up with this arbitrary income number. Like once I make X yeah. amount of dollars, I'm going to be happy, right? Everything's yeah. going to fall into place. And yeah. then they get to that dollar figure and they go, I felt this, I feel the same as I did last year. So oh, how do you yeah. help people realize that money is not the all, you know, the, 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 the ultimate it's part of the puzzle, but not the ultimate. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're spot on with that idea that it's not the end goal that ever makes anyone happy, right? I had a I had a friend who she said, I'm gonna make this much in my business and I'm gonna buy this David Yerman watch. Yeah. So she gets there, she bought it, she sold it like a year ago. Right. <laughs> she didn't want it, she didn't want it anymore. So I'm like, well, what's the point of this? And so uh, I have a mentor in coaching, one of the coaches I've done some work with, and he says this really well. He says, goals should be a place to come from, yeah. not a place to get to. Yep. That's so interesting. When, when you think of a goal of a place to get to, you know, let's look at a year. Let's say you're trying to get to this income number. You don't get there. You don't get there. And on day 364, you land a giant deal. Yeah. Right. The whole year you missed your goal. And then on day 364, you get it. And the whole year you beat yourself up and you talked about how crap it was. You know, goal being a place to come from means how do you show up as a person who makes X every damn day of the week? Yeah. How do you walk through the world, do the activities, do the behaviors, have the mindset of a person who does that every single day of the week? It's a much better way to set a goal. Yeah, that 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 is very true. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. that's a good analogy where if you kind of skate through the whole year and then you land one big right. deal, you you really didn't have that great of a year. Right. You know? Exactly. You 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 crapped <laughs> on yourself the whole right. year because you didn't do anything. Yeah. Right. You could have had a much better right. year with that coming exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that you talk a lot about is the way that people communicate by way of email. So I go as far to say that you're an email specialist. So um, yeah. So how do you, how do you teach people to actually be better on email? So the email thing, I'll, I'll back into that question. The email thing is sort of an accident. I didn't realize that that was a strength I had back in my staffing days. I, I did it, but I sure. didn't really think twice about it because I've always enjoyed writing. What has become increasingly obvious, especially now in the generation and the decade we're in, is digital networking and people's digital presence and digital communication. It used to be, I would argue, when we both started in the business, sure. it was the nice to have. It was secondary. It yep. was, you know, meet people in person, get people on the phone. Email was a means to get people on the phone, get people to email. Right. 50% of the labor market is now millennial Gen Z. These folks don't like to talk to you on the phone. They just don't. They're going to keep it as minimal as possible, right? And by 2025, the data says 64 to 74% are going to be millennial and Gen Z. Mm -hmm. So people who are digging in their heels on smiling and dialing and everything has to be done in person, they're all, they're struggling because they have not yet developed the skill that is sales writing or relationship building writing, which is an entirely different type of writing yeah. than, you know, Doc Reddington's 12th grade English class. Like sure, that was right. something else. That was yeah. essays. That was not sales writing. And Thesis. what yeah. I found, m- most people don't know how to do it. Right. And so it became very eye opening for me to realize who's teaching this stuff, who's mm-hmm. how to create trust and influence and that, you know, that know and like factor, how do we do that via email? And so it's become a real passion project for me to teach people how to do that. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's funny you bring up, I never even thought about the 50% being, you know, Gen Z and millennial. Mm -hmm. I've even I've, uh, you know, as a Gen Xer, firm Gen Xer, very proud Gen Xer, I (laughs) find myself sliding towards not wanting to talk to people on the phone. Like my family has chosen to order pizza from a place that we can order online instead of having to call in and talk to someone. My my husband does the same thing. He does the same thing. Like, I don't want to call. So you really do have to be able to have your personality shine through in an email. I've noticed, I don't know if you've seen this, this LinkedIn thing that's going on that 
someone connects with you and then within as soon as you accept it within 45 seconds you get a long winded mm -hmm. direct message about how awesome they are and why you should buy stuff from them so yeah. are, are you familiar with this is this a how, how do you, <laughs> I get as many as you do. I'll okay. say that. Right, uh, yes, uh, I'm familiar with it. I can't stand it. I think it's making anyone who does their job in any integrity, you know, get buried amidst all of this godforsaken noise. Um, there's a, there's a couple things. I'll say that there's been an uptick in automation. A lot of you know sales, revenue growth, entrepreneurs, business owners are using automation. Yeah. And I'm not against automation, but a lot of them are using it poorly. Sure. They haven't, they haven't been taught how to write. Yeah. So what's going in is not great. I, as a former accountant, we used to call it garbage in, garbage out, mm -hmm. right? Like the output is only as good as the input. And so they're using these softwares that are dripping out messages to their clients or prospective clients. And they're awful. I, I get constant, you know, hi, Hannah, I see that you're an executive coach in Philadelphia, PA. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how long have you been working for Priority Group? I'm like, yeah. it's my last name. Like, <laughs> what do you mean working for? So no, it's awful. And I'll say the biggest mistake that people make, and I'm sure you see this all the time, the biggest mistake people make in sales writing, which sales writing is written psychology. Yeah. Like full stop. It's written psychology. The biggest mistake people make is this. They start an email to a potential prospect or potential vendor, potential client. And the first thing they write is, hi, first name, I'm Henna Pryor. And I've been with my company for this many years. We have expertise in this, like I, 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 me, 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 we, 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 no one asked you yet. Oh. No one asked you yet. I like that. And what they, sh what they should be doing is starting from the you perspective. Yeah. This is what I know about you. This is what I know about your industry. You can tell them about you later, but immediately it's disengagement delete because all we want to do is talk about ourselves to make ourselves sound credible and professional and knowledgeable and sophisticated. And it's a huge miss in sales messaging, huge You're miss. That's a great, great call because actually on the LinkedIn thing, you mm -hmm. know, the sort of the attack, I just had a guy, he linked in with me and then mm -hmm. in nine days, he sent me four of those exact messages. And I wrote back to him. I said, yeah. this ain't, this ain't it, man. You know, this ain't it. Um, yeah. and I don't usually respond to them, but it was all, I, 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 we can do this. We can do this. And I'm like, you don't even know what I, who I am or what I do. Yeah. You yeah. definitely need that, it, that personal connection for sure. I feel like most of us in sales have been trained out of that in our in-person and phone interactions. Yeah. Like we, we know better Yet somehow there's been this giant disconnect with how to apply what we've learned in our day-to-day -to, -day to digital. For some reason, we turn into completely different people when we start writing emails. Yeah. And part of, part of where I'm passionate is bridge the gap, man. Like bring these two together. You want to be authentically yourself here yeah. the same way you are over here. Stop creating two personas because this one, you know, email guy over here, email professional guy over here is not serving you because you sound like a self-centered idiot. Right. It doesn't sound good. You know? Well, you always talk about how it's really important for your emails to come across like you're talking. So yeah. how, how can people do that? Simplify the language, first mm. of all. Again, there's this very misguided 10th grade English class student that comes up in all of us where we think using big words or sophisticated phrasing or packed sentences makes us sound more knowledgeable or credible. Yeah. When the research, written psychology and copywriting research says very clearly that all that does is create more distance between you and the person reading the message. People are busy, they're overwhelmed, they're skimming your message, they're reading it fast. Use 
small sentences, use short words, make it simple, easy to digest. But somehow we don't do this. We put this like over, you know, blocks of text, huge words, too much information that has nothing to do with them or their yeah. story. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of tips I could give you. But I would say just starting from that you perspective and simplifying will immediately get people better results. So that you're you're, pre, you're preaching to the choir here because I have this yeah. theory that the art of simplicity has is totally lost in the business world now. You know, yeah. in our world, when you give someone a financial plan, it's 150 pages. And I don't think anyone cares. Right. So when you start talking about reading an email, a cold email or a cold message, if you don't mm -hmm. have... If I, if I open an email and it's, it's words, I go, I, I, I can't do this. Like my, right, my right. brain just can't compute. So right, being able right. to connect with someone by email is possible, but you have to do it the way oh, you yeah. talked about. Yeah. I mean, I, I teach it and people are seeing two, three, four, five X revenue improvement Amazing. on email. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, there's this narrative that email is dead. Uh, I check my email all day. Do you check your email all day? Yeah. Email is dead for the people who write crap emails. Right. But I read plenty of well-written emails. So email is dead if you are writing crappy emails. Yeah, there's, remember the days back back when we were in college, when you would take some mm -hmm. time, you'd be like, I have to go check my email. You're <laughs> yeah. always checking your email now. Like it's, you know, it's almost, yeah. almost gotten as bad as an instant message, you know, an AOL instant message for, right. for our, our generation. Yeah. The people that claim it's dead are the people that are using the spray and pray, like volume yeah. is their game. That's it. It's just, yeah. it's just volume. They're like, I sent out 2000 and I only got 200 responses. So really that's not a great percentage. Email is dead. And I'm like, I'm surprised you got that many if you right. sent it out to 2000 because your approach is dead. It's right. not that email is dead. Your approach is dead. Yeah. It's a great point. So online um, support. Yeah. Right. You, you talk a lot about taking uh, risks professionally. So what do you mean by that? I pivoted my career twice, um, yeah. which people are always interested about by or, or confused by. Um, you know, I was in the big four accounting role. I pivoted to recruitment. Then I pivoted to executive coaching and training. Everything I've built in my life and in my career was based on placing small bets. Yeah. On yourself. I'm a huge on myself and on things that I didn't know if they were going to work out or not. Yeah. Um, there's one of the, the best lessons I've gotten early on, especially in the entrepreneurship journey is human beings are naturally a little bit self-centered. Yeah. Right? We think everyone is looking at us. We think everyone is watching us fall, watching us soar. Nobody's really watching us. And so I've gotten a lot of success from just trying things. I have a bunch of programs that I spend a you know, decent bit of time on that didn't really take off as much as I hoped they would. Maybe yeah. a few people were interested, a few people weren't. The only people that know that are the people that I talk to about it. Wow. That's it. No, nobody else knows. But then the things that went well, if they, you know, there was traction or it was starting to get some interest, I doubled down and then I doubled down again yeah. and then I doubled down again. And all of a sudden it's a huge part of my business, but people are so terrified of the outcome that they won't even place the small bet. They won't even try the little experiment. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I, I, I tend to do my analogy for that with people thinking mm -hmm. that, you know, they're all people are always watching you. Yeah, I have a real tough time going to a wedding and dancing because I feel like everyone's <laughs> making fun of me. Everyone's watching. Yeah, yeah. no one's watching. You know, do just go, yeah, go for no. it. Yeah, right. No one, unless you're like in the middle of the, the big circle, right? Yeah, doing no the one's, jump rope. yeah, right. No <laughs> one's really watching. If you're just so off to the corner, shimmying your shoulders, no one's watching. But it's, yeah, I love it's the it. truth. And it stops people from trying things that are innovative and interesting. And it breaks my heart because there's so much 
untapped potential because people just don't want to place the small bet. How are you able to coach someone to say, Hey, do this taste kind of like push mm-hmm. people off the ledge. Cause I think sometimes yeah. people get to the ledge and I'm like, I'm a little afraid. Sometimes I just need someone to push them. How do you do that? Um, can I do it with you right now? Can sure. we like just try it? Let's, okay. Yeah, let's so do let, it. Okay. So let's say this is not happening, but let's say you're going to quit this job tomorrow. You're going to open a bar in the Caribbean. Yeah. Right? You and Kristen are, you and Kristen are gone. You're going to open a bar in the Caribbean. Okay. Let's say Cocktails you did this and, and you're, yep. You're <laughs> freaking out about it. You put your entire savings, you sell your house, all your money goes into it and it stinks, right? Yep. Stinks. Okay. You and Kristen have to take the kids to the parents for a little bit, you know, at one point, the parents are like, you know, guys, it's time to get out of here. Like, you know, we're, we're moving, we're selling the house. You don't have this house to live in anymore. Right. So catastrophe keeps adding up, right? You guys all end up at a homeless shelter, all yeah. of you. Real, real talk, real question. How long until you, Brian Carney, are running that homeless shelter? That's a good point. F- quickly. Right. Yeah. Because you're not wired to just roll over and take it. Yeah, you you're saw right. That things, if you saw that things were going downhill you would adapt, you would pivot, you would change something. You wouldn't even let that outcome happen. But even if it did, you'd be running that joint in a week's time. And I know that. I know that about you. Yeah, right. right. So we as humans, I mean, that was, we'd go, we take longer and we'd go sure. deeper, but right. as humans, we catastrophize. And sometimes the answer is just follow that catastrophe train all the way to the end. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's go there. Let's go literally with what is the worst possible scenario. Mm-hmm. And then when you, right. when you, as you're saying this, I'm like, okay, well, that would never happen. You know, right, you got right. like two steps in. I'm like, that's never going to happen. But, and right. cause I have some ownership right. in that. Yeah. Right. But we have to name, we have to name the fear though. We have to right. kind of, there's this uh Brene Brown calls it, name it to tame it. Yeah. Right. When it's percolating back here, it feels like the most frightening thing in the world. And when you actually say out loud, if this, then that, okay, yeah. let's say that, then what would you do? If that happened, like, let's walk that scenario to the end of the road. Let's not just keep it at theory. Let's yeah. walk it through. And then they'd say, honestly, if it was that crappy, I'd probably shift gears a bit. And right. I would, you know, if I needed to go back and I'd get another corporate job, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's not all that bad. It's interesting right. that, that you do make a good point. That is, uh, yeah. you kind of play out that worst case scenario. It's easy to, yeah. to, to not get that far down. It seems simple, but it's worth saying that it's very hard work to do with yourself. It's very hard. I mean, coaches have, I have my own coach. Coaches have their own coaches because it's very difficult to hold that mirror up for yourself and see it clearly and objectively without your own stuff getting in the way. Yeah. It's just hard to do. Right. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, obviously you said, we we talked about a little bit in the beginning that you were, Mm -hmm. for every year you're at K-Force, you were in the top 10%. And that included having children along the way where you weren't necessarily able to pound the phones or, you know, work 70, 80 hours a week, which in your industry is sort of, I don't want to say Mm -hmm. the norm, but the norm. Uh, So you had to figure you had, again, had to pivot. How did Mm -hmm. you continue to do really well when you have a full-time working husband, you have two, two little kids at home and you're still, you know, responsible for trying to, to make those goals. Yeah. I'm going to answer in a way that's probably a bit of a throwaway. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I think, <laughs> I, I think, I, I will, because I want to be fair to anybody else who's in that position. I have ideas. I have some suspicions as to what made that easier, yeah. but it's hard for me to diagnose it for sure. I will say that the messaging helped. Yeah. I was definitely quick to the fact that if you want your business to grow and scale and you don't want to do it live all the time, which takes 
time, right? It's right. a time-intensive process, then becoming really effective at your messaging is a way that you can get more done in less time. So that absolutely played a huge part. I would attribute a lot of the success to that, the fact that I was agile to that early on. Right. Um, but the other thing, and I think any mother, especially any working mother, would attest to this is you become very boundaried with your time. You know, I don't have time. I think in the office, the days I went into the office, people knew I was friendly. They knew I was warm, but they kind of came up to me with this. I know you're busy. I know you only have two minutes right. because I wasn't there to, I wasn't there to play. You know, yeah. if I was going to work less and get home to my kids, I was going to kick ass in the, the hours I was working, you know, yeah. I was going to dial in and focus. And that's harder and harder for some of the new generation to do because of the amount of distraction that's in the world now. But if people want to get serious about income and not double their hours, got to dial in your activities in the time that you're doing it. Yep. Great point. That really is a good point. And, and let's talk a little bit about boundaries because I, you know, I've mm -hmm. struggled with this, especially during the pandemic and yeah. having a phone or an iPad or a laptop or whatever, the boundaries between when you're at home and when you're at work are super blurred mm -hmm. right now. How do you help people really maintain that, you know, that ability to be present yeah. when they're at work and, and home? Yeah, everybody has their own Achilles heel around boundaries. So some people it's checking their email, some people it's the hours that they work, right? So first step is just get really clear on where do you tend to break your boundary first? Everyone's yeah. got, you know, for some it's a combination of all those things. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, I don't know if you've ever read James Clear, Atomic Habits. Yeah. He talks, yeah, he's, he's a favorite of mine, but I love, like, yeah, I have it next to my office too. <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm a big fan of the way he describes anything that you want to do that's an identity shift. So if you're someone who says, I don't want to be the person who's checking my email well into the evening when my kids are home. Okay, so that's the identity. You, you want to be a present parent, right? Sure. That's what you've chosen. You're not going to be able to talk your way into that identity, you're not even gonna be able to put a goal out there and get yourself to that identity, you're skipping steps. So what you need to do is look at your systems. What are your systems that are around you? My systems were pretty much non-existent for a while. And so for some time, I had to literally shut my computer down and put a pile of books on top of it <laughs> so that if I wanted to get back on it, that it would literally, it was a physical visual reminder of you are choosing to lift up this heavy stack of books to do your email instead of spending time with your family. That's great. Right. But you have to, you have to hack the systems a yep. little bit, look at your environment. You know, maybe it's for some, there's a, Ian installed, my husband installed some Google internet thing where you can shut off internet access to certain devices oh, after wow. a certain time. So he does it for the kids. And, you know, I'm thinking about doing it for myself, to right. be honest, because yeah. the temptation is too strong. Your willpower is only as good as your environment. So first thing we tend to look at together is just talk to me about your environment before we yeah. start talking about your goals. That That's great because I noticed, you know, uh, having that ability to stay present with, with my kids, especially during the pandemic was really difficult where, you know, yeah. all hell was breaking loose and I'm trying to answer, respond to emails well into the night. And you sort of, first of all, it gives you a ton of anxiety. You know, even if yeah. you're just sitting when things are normal in times of yeah. peace, as I say, where you're just scrolling <laughs> yeah. randomly through Instagram, you mm -hmm. feel like you don't actually relax because you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Yeah. What I, what I also noticed about myself, I don't know if you were like this too, is that even when I was scrolling Instagram to relax, I wasn't actually relaxed. Right. Like exactly. it, it didn't actually, it didn't actually relax me. And so I, I had to do a lot of sort of self-reflection and self-work on if I am bringing this level of anxiety or sort of leftover stress into yeah. my home, then 
what's more important. I'm, it's a work in progress. I don't want to be on some, you know, high and mighty. Sure. I'm great, great about staying off of social <laughs> media. I am sh- sure not, right. but it is, it is helpful for me when I need to like really get better with my boundaries. If I feel yeah. like they're, they've slipped completely away, mm-hmm. then I almost like, again, put some systems in place. So if I'm on Instagram for a while, then I literally make myself, you know, like a post-it the next morning that said, you were on Instagram for an hour and ignored your kids yesterday. Right. And I, I make it, it's staring me in the face. It's yeah. staring me in the face and I'm less likely to do it that evening. That's great. You know, you know if it works, that, that's perfect. You know, sure. I can't, I can't fix the past, but I can try to do something about it in the future. You yeah. Know? Well, speaking of the pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. You leave, like we talked about, a high-paying job at the end of 2019 to start your own business. You get midway through March, or let's just say you get into April of 2020. How are you feeling about starting your own business? I was panicked, and it was unwarranted. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I had had a great year. I had a great year. Um, And and so I say that with no ego, but rather to be potentially a a tale of someone who really focused on action instead of worrying about the big goal or the big plan. And let me back into this by saying, I am in a place of privilege in that my previous job allowed me to put money aside to relax that concern. And my husband has a well-paying job. So let me just own that privilege right out of the bat. Not everyone can do that. Sure. Um, But despite those circumstances, I just, you know, and I, and I teach, teach and train and coach on this too. You can think about the end goal or you can kind of one of the partnerships I work, I do a little bit of work with Russell Wilson's firm. And one of the things we talk about is neutral thinking. Mm -hmm. The neutral thinking means not getting super hung up in what's going to be at the end and rather, you know, in his world, it's what's the next right pass. What's the next right, you know, play we're going to run. What's the next thing I need to be thinking about to make sure my head's in the game. Um, I would say I applied the same strategy, which is, okay, things are changing. What can I control this minute, this hour, this day? And I just focused on that and figured the rest would sort itself out. That's a great way to attack it. I have I guess, to. It was I guess there's no other mode. way. Like, yeah, I think all of us were in survival mode. So if I started to think too far out, then I went into, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't breathe. <laughs> so we had to, had to slow myself down, which is not something I do naturally. Yeah. It took a lot of effort, but, but it was, it was very helpful. It paid off. That's great. So one of the questions I want to ask you is what is, I'm sure you probably have a favorite success story from one of your clients. Mm, I have a lot. It's like asking for favorite children. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, or, I don't know if I'm going to call it. Yeah. I was going to say, did you have a different? No, I was going to say, or maybe a, a recent one, not necessarily your favorite one where, yeah. you, where you're. I mean, my, my favorite, so I have two, two kinds. I'll give it two categories. Okay. So on the, on the leadership coaching side, honestly, my favorite success stories are always some version of a woman in, you know, a higher level, you know, usually it's for me, it's um, manager, director, VP, C-suite. Those are sure. sort of the, the ranges I work with. A woman who historically has had a hard time speaking up in meetings or finding her confidence, hmm. who, you know, we spent some time working together and she goes into a meeting and shares some really big idea with her male dominated team and they love it and they crush it. She crushes and, it, yeah. You know, that, that, that woman comes back to me going, 
I am on fire right now. Like my yeah. body is tingling. I feel like I don't know what just happened, but it felt so good. Right. Yeah. Those, those moments are hugely satisfying for me professionally. Every time I get one of those um, on the sales side, you know, kind of both sides of it on the sales side, honestly, it's, it's been a little bit more on this writing side. It feels so good to see people having fun with their writing again. But more importantly, seeing the result. I think what they don't realize when they start learning about sales writing and copywriting and start getting trained in it is not only do they have more fun because they're more authentically themselves and they're writing more like they talk. Sure. The results, the results are way better. So they're pumped. They're seeing so much more output and the clients are loving it because they're like, yes, this person gets me. They, I want to work with this person. All of a sudden they're making friends with their clients. Yeah. And so all around, it's just like a, it's a warm and fuzzy feel good just to bring that kind of impact to that, that industry. Yeah. To be able to have a pure human connection through email is pretty amazing to be able to teach someone how to do that. It can, it's not that hard too. I'll say it's not that hard. People think it is, but it's not, you just need to learn how. Yeah. One of the things that you say that I, that I absolutely love, because I've experienced this in, in personally and I've seen other people go through it, is mm-hmm. asking someone, are you busy or are you productive? So what do you mean by yeah. that? So I, uh, I adopt, there's a, a gentleman named Cal Newport. He wrote a book called Deep Work. As you can tell, I'm a reader. Yeah. <laughs> Name, name dropping books. Um, <laughs> Cal, Cal Newport makes a distinction between busy as productive, uh, busy versus productive. So I'll just get, make it real. So for financial advisors or for any sort of sales professional, busy is I did all these dials today. I sent all these emails today. I got back to all these people today. I scheduled all these meetings. And it's one of those days where at the end of the day, you're like, what I do? Right. Like, what did I do? Like, I just, I was busy all day, but it's, yep doing activities to give this false feeling of I'm doing things, I'm creating output, I've, I have activities that are under my belt. Productive is when you actually have conversations that are impactful and move the needle, right? Mm-hmm. You write a really high performing email, you take the time to write a high performing email that gets a ton of responses and a ton of traction. Yeah. Or you have a two minute longer conversation, but that person takes, you know, a little more time with you. They go a little bit deeper. That's a productive day. It might've not been a busy day, yep. but it was a productive day and productive outperforms busy hand over fist. I, I love that. You know, I, we, we talk all the time about, sometimes I come home and I'm like, I lost that day. I lost right. today. <laughs> what I today do? was a loss because I did, I answered emails all day. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. that That's perfect. Um, if, if you were to give a piece of advice to someone that's, I don't want to say stuck in corporate America, but someone that's in corporate America, who's contemplating jumping out and doing their own thing and starting their own business, what piece of advice would you give them based off of the success that you've had? Mm, I hate to be repetitive, but make small bets, make yeah. small bets that I think people time, tend to see things as very binary. You know, I stay in corporate, I go do my own thing. Yeah. Why don't you think about, you know, if there is something you have your eye on, let's say, you know, in my world, it was coaching. Yeah. Uh, Even though I had the opportunity to make a clean break, I started to get certified while I was still at K-Force. I mean, Mm. I left K-Force in August. I started my certification in May. Right. right? Like taking the steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, the metaphor I give a lot of my coaching clients is we tend to look at these next steps and we feel very idealistic about them. This is what I want to do. This is what it's going to look like. Yep. But it terrifies us because we don't really know what it looks like. Yeah. And I say, it's like opening a walk-in closet and the lights are out and you're like, 
what's in here? Like, I know there's clothes in here, but what's in here, right? Like turn some lights on. And the way you do that is while you're at your corporate job, find some people on LinkedIn, find some people through your network, friends of friends that are doing things similar to what you'd like to do and ask them for a five minute conversation. Yeah. I had five minute conversations with no less than 50 coaches before I decided to become a coach right. because I wanted to understand what's in this here closet. Like it's a thing that I don't understand yet. Yep. Turn on the lights, see what's there before you look. start doing anything drastic. Yep. Love it. Uh, so I'm going to kind of call, put you on the spot. Now you said something earlier okay. um, and you said that you talk to people about like, what's the point of this? So what's your point of, of this company? Like what's your point of, I'm going to ask you as a coach, what, what's your point of yeah. this? My, so it's like my Simon Sinek, big why, but I like the Brian Carney. What's your point? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> um, my point is that I think there's a lot of people who are very high potential who don't have the right roadmap. Mm -hmm. I think people make a lot of guesses about how to walk through this world and they don't have the support to make the decisions that will enable them to grow and leap a lot faster, whether that's in personal and professional development, whether that's in sales and revenue growth, people are operating off of, you know, old things or what their manager that they, you know, that first hired them, told them, and they don't take the time to do that deep exploration to figure out these are my strengths. These are my superpowers. These are my blind spots. And if I address all these things, I freaking fly. Right. right. So my why is my why is the thing I needed most, which is to get out of my own way. So yeah. my why is to get people out of their own way. Yep. The self, it's sort of like a, you mean like a self-limiting belief? Is that what you mean by getting out of their yeah. own way? Beliefs, sometimes it's actions, right? I would say I want certain things, but then my behavior would point me in another direction. I would say I want to spend more time with my kids at night. And then I work till seven o'clock on K4 states, you know? Right. Yeah. So it can, it can be mental. It can be physical. It can be spiritual. But a lot of times we're our own worst critics and our own worst obstacles. Yeah, definitely. All right. So last question. I always like to ask okay. this question. Yeah. You can visit yourself. You can go back in time and okay. visit Henna when she's 23, 25, 26, oh, in your mid twenties. Okay. okay. Now as a, not a 23 year old, what piece of advice would you have given to yourself back then? Mm. I always don't like these questions because I, I made a lot of missteps. I did a lot of things that I maybe would have done differently. Yeah. But I, I'm one of those annoying people who truly believes that all of the stumbles and all of the falls led me to here. I mean, I probably would have drank less soda. <laughs> I, didn't drink, I didn't drink coffee then. I only started drinking coffee a few years ago. So I rotted all my teeth with uh, Coca-Cola at 8.15 in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't have done that, but... No, truly, like failure is awesome. Just yeah. fail. You hear, okay, here's, here's, here's a good one. I would have learned more from my failures. I think I, I liked to scoot past them anytime I did anything where I stumbled and fell. I don't like to linger in hard stuff. I right. pride myself on just moving on. Sure. Yep. If I could tell 20 something, Henna, what to do differently, it's take a minute, just a minute and have a retrospective on what could you learn from that? Love it. That such a great, you know, it's a, it, every failure is an opportunity to learn. I think that's a great, great piece of advice. They want the one that most of us don't do as adults either, but we're trying. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, exactly. We're yeah. trying. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Henna, check out her website at prioritygroup.com. Um, I'm going to have to rate this beer now. So, uh, I'm going to go thick haze from Oscar blues. I'm going to give this on a scale of five. I'm going to give it three, seven, five. Really enjoyed it. Oh, where's it from? Um, Colorado, Longmont, oh. Colorado. It is one of my, mm. they have a great, they have a bunch of great beers. One called Dale's pale ale. If you want to get okay. in a little, little I something, check it out. Um, and you give, you give your mango four out of five, no doubt. Right. I mean, I drank it so much that it's basically water, but yeah, (laughs) we'll give it four out of five. Awesome. Uh, If you want to connect with me on the untapped app, my username is brcarney7. To learn more about how my firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. Hannah Pryor, thank you so much and cheers to you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.